In 2019, a remarkable journey began with a simple act of compassion, the adoption of a school in Luero. This act set the stage for a series of transformative events that would shape the path of philanthropy, humanitarianism, and social entrepreneurship for me. The Anga Foundation emerged dedicated to work in early childhood care and education, uplifting marginalized youth by expanding our scope of work to the Nogura Mount Home in 2021. In 2022, the dedication and impact of the foundation was celebrated as I was named the youngest winner of the prestigious Top 40 Under 40 Award by Vision Group. This milestone served as a catalyst propelling me towards many opportunities in the future. The recognition did not stop there. The University of Waterloo acknowledged this work, featuring me on the Faculty of Science page. Opportunities followed suit as jobs poured in rapidly. The Waterloo Chronicle sought out my thoughts on combating racism and promoting equity, diversity and inclusion. In 2022, a defining moment arrived when I joined the Canada Children's Hospital Foundation, a job that breathed a new purpose into my life. With the continued efforts and work, the impact that I had continued to resonate, earning me a featured spot in the University of Waterloo's President's Update, Global Futures Magazine and online publication in 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Young Guy International, a product of the Young Guy Initiative and proudly affiliated with the Darabini blog. Join us on this inspiring journey of creating impact, inspiring change, and spreading hope in the world. Hello and welcome to the Young Guy International, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Darren Harabini, your host on the Young Guy International podcast. And in today's episode, we have the privilege of sitting down with Palak Khanna, a 20-year-old social entrepreneur, public speaker, mentor, teacher, and environmentalist. With an impressive list of accolades that we will discuss, including being a world record holder, BW Wellbeing's 30 under 30, and India's 20 under 20. Palak's journey has taken her to incredible heights, from being featured on LinkedIn News, mentoring and speaking at prestigious events like Google and G20. She is definitely a force to be reckoned with. And just to say, she is the founder and chief executive officer of Break the Ice. Thank you and welcome, Palak. Um, Palak, as a LinkedIn content creator with significant following, how do you leverage social media platforms like LinkedIn to amplify your message, engage with your audience, but still inspire action? That's a great question. I think um, I have tried to ensure that my brand, like me as a person, as well as the values that I put forward are aligned, which is exactly what I do. So I am very passionate about social impact and that's all that I talk about through my profile. So whether it's talking about taboo topics, whether it's talking about youth, whether it's talking about just simply what are the actions I am taking to create change so that other people, even if they don't feel anything other than being inspired, I think that's a great step to helping them become change makers. So that's what I've tried to do. And um, 
I have been the biggest introvert throughout my life and I've realized that I really needed that push to take action or even step up to understand what am I feeling and what do I want to put across as, you know, my opinions, because I was worried that people do not want to listen to my opinions. So, you know, rather than simply telling them that do this, do this, I think I wanted to do something which went through an individual, through a human who was also an introvert so that they relate to it and they also feel inspired. So I've kind of combined both my brand and my value. Yes. Uh, it is key that you did mention the aspect of taboo topics. And I want to discuss how, in your experience, what are some effective strategies or approaches to engage individuals who are hesitant or uncomfortable discussing taboo topics? And how does Break the Ice essentially encourage them to participate in these open and meaningful discussions? That's a great question. So I think, um, honestly speaking, I thought that it might be more difficult, but it's technically been a little easier. I've seen that I've been positively overwhelmed in terms of just realizing that a lot of people want to talk about taboo topics. And what's helped me is just ensuring that we're creating awareness along the way, because half the people are hesitant because they're not aware. And that's what I have realized is the massive gap between information, between action, and between being hesitant and pushing it under the carpet of ignorance with a tag of taboo. Maybe it's not a taboo. Maybe it's an important conversation. For example, mental health. I've realized it's a taboo in so many countries and so many cultures. But technically, it's because we do not know about it enough for us to talk about it. So I think my and my organization's approach has been more towards just breaking that ice initially about awareness, about providing that information so that we realize, and we actually realize this, that 80% of people were simply hesitant because they did not know too much about the topic. So with those 80%, it was easier to, you know, change them into just realizing that their mindset might be a little incorrect, or maybe they need to expand their mindset more to talk about these topics, which are absolutely normal. For the 20%, what we did was we ensured that the 80% we have helped in transitioning to become more enlightened people. We helped them understand that, you know, 80% of people have now realized this. Maybe, maybe if you become a part of like the community, maybe if you become a part of the action, that's when we'll be able to create a better society. So for those 80%, it was rather easy. For the 20%, we're still working on that because we've realized that even if we feel like we've impacted a lot of people, large amount of people and millions of people are left. So hoping to create more change, but I think the first step was awareness. And I totally agree with you. In the context of the fact that there is a lack of information, which leads to societies not fully embracing the different social issues. Um, you did mention, however, that mental health um, is a key stigma that you are trying to fight as um, break the ice. And you said that as youth, just in, as, as an example, because we have so much information available to us, it is hard to understand what is right for us and what's not. And that's just an example of the different um, stigmas that are out there and that affect how we as young people filter and take in information. But what is interesting is that you are tackling this by raising awareness and then discussing a wide range of topics. So my question is, how do you then prioritize which topics to focus on as an organization? Because again, there are multiple taboo topics. So therefore, you need to be able to prioritize, but remain um, um, focused on your mission and comprehensively tackle these different um, taboo topics. So very interestingly, we've realized that taboos are differently for every culture. So I think I mentioned this previously also, that 
I knew that culturally and country-wise, there are different taboos, but I've realized that it's drastically different. But for example, if I take the example of India, menstruation is a massive taboo, but it may not be the same case with a country like US. So we've realized that when we're talking about taboos, we try to have a very inclusive approach in terms of catering to one new taboo topic every month, but also ensuring that we don't leave behind the taboos we were talking in the previous months. Because essentially, it isn't a one-way or a one-time conversation. It needs to, you know, be a chain of conversations for people to really understand that this isn't a taboo anymore. So we have realized that. And in terms of prioritization, we aren't prioritizing. I think we've realized that every taboo is important. And uh, we shouldn't prioritize in terms of our personal biases, in terms of our cultural biases, because technically, taboos come down to being biases. And we're eradicating that bias, right? So we don't prioritize. We try to pick on one new taboo topic in terms of understanding our community, doing surveys, taking feedbacks on what is the next taboo you want us to talk about. So just including our community within it, taking one new taboo topic every month, ensuring that the previous taboos are also being talked about in some way or the other, so that at least by the end of the month, there are two taboo topics you are now much, much more aware of. So yeah, that's the way we are doing it. And presently, we're in 10 countries. So just being able to like, you know, culturally include every taboo has become very difficult, but in a very good way, because we've made a list of so many taboos and we're just trying to work on them each month and just ensure that every event we do, every offline drive we do, every workshop we do includes some form of a taboo topic and include it with others because at the end of the day, it's intersectional and it's aligned with so many more taboos itself. So, yes. Thank you for that answer. And key to it is the fact that you said that you do not prioritize and in doing so you can holistically tackle these different taboos. And um, in saying that the taboos come because we choose to pick on specific ones and overlook others is an interesting perspective and it shows that you are not um, neglecting one and focusing on one, but you're creating a safe space for all to be tackled in their respective um, capacities. But um, Pala, creating a global safe space to do this is an ambitious goal. And I honestly credit you for starting. And um, the progress has shown you are currently in about 10 different countries. But what strategies do you employ um, to ensure that you have inclusivity and constructive dialogue to ensure that these conversations do not just end there, but there is an effective approach to seeing the work that you are doing on a conversation level being impacted in these different communities and societies? So that's a great question. I had this dilemma when I just started out and I had realized that there'll be a lot going on and we can't just put forward information as enlightened people because awareness information is one small part of it, of creating that ultimate change and creating that global safe space that we're aiming to do. So we've realized that we've combined awareness with action with conversation because awareness is important but when you implement that awareness and that information in conversations that's when you essentially break the ice right so we've combined awareness with action with conversation and ultimately a feedback format where we try to ensure that everybody who's been a part of our session whether online whether offline whether an offline drive so recently we did an offline drive on menstruation this was basically for young men not women. Because we realize that taboos around menstruation are technically amongst men. Women are going through it. So we try to ensure that the entire forum and the entire event is for men to realize that 
this is very natural this is what happens how you take care of your female members whether your mom your sister your girlfriend your wife whoever how do you be a part of creating that change and breaking that taboo and then when we released a feedback form after a month of the event we realized that 50% of those mindsets had changed and this is how they are now implementing what they learned throughout the event so that's how we do it so once the awareness is done we tell them what is the action you can take and then we observe whether that action is taken in terms of understanding their feedback and their survey because that's technically our kpi of realizing how many minds did we actually change so yes that's how we are doing it so that it's not just holistic inclusive but also quantitative because qualitatively we can change a lot of minds but quantity is also important because we're hoping to create a global safe space which is a, again like you were saying an ambitious goal but we're hoping to achieve that and i commend you like i said before for pushing through to ensuring that you reach your vision and that you pursue your dreams entirely um in the beginning of your answer you did mention that you had eczema and i know that you know going through different turmoils whether it's in your personal life business um you definitely need people that support you guide you mentor sponsor or coach you and i'd like to assume that there have been people that have supported you in your journey to getting to these different accreditations but also in achieving your goals who would you accredit so far in terms of the people that have supported and cheered you on on this journey i think there have been a lot of people <laughs> thankfully and gratefully i think there are a lot of people who just told me you need to take that step and uh, i'll tell you a story this is a very short incident of why i actually came up with breathe ties because like i was mentioning i was the introvert who didn't talk about her feelings how did she land up talking about taboo topics so there was a small incident during the pandemic i overheard a conversation between my mom and my domestic help she had had her periods at a place but she was very uncomfortable asking for pads i overheard that conversation and i just told my mom periods is natural why are we and by we i meant educated families pushing forward this stigma you know why are we hushing about a topic which is natural this is why humanity exists if a female has periods that's technically why she can you know give birth to a child that's the reason why we're existing um and my mom just told me if you're passionate about it that much do something about it so technically honestly speaking it's all because of my family my mom and a lot of people who just told me that's a good point so when i talked about my idea that let's create a space where we talk about everything not supposed to be talked about i was telling this to my friends and they said absolutely this is a wonderful idea we'll be the first in the team so if i realize all of them have been supporters in the journey because if i wouldn't have gotten that push i would not be talking to you right now let alone have an organization that is talking about taboo topics let alone being able to speak in front of people wherever i go wherever i'm giving the session i always mention i was the biggest introvert and the transition has happened because of support and because people told me to step out of my comfort zone i couldn't have done it without you know them as well as that push that i constantly need so technically speaking a lot of people have supported me even till date every one of the followers i have on linkedin are supporters because they've tried to push me and tell me you know what i see you i see your profile i see the work you're doing and i value you that's why i follow you so i think technically all of them are supporters as well and i know that sounds so philosophical but i am someone who believes in that <laughs> no no i definitely understand that and it's obviously a great thing to have people that support your vision because at the end of the day i believe that we are here to inflict um, positive change in whatever capacity that we can and we cannot do that alone 
And with your milestones, I believe you've seen that there is evidence that there has been progress in the work that you do and in the work that you continue um, to do. In a recent blog that I wrote, um, I talked about staying motivated after winning an accolade or gaining achievement or you know having a milestone that you that you reached. And with your different milestones and accolades as a young person like me, how have you maintained a sense of humility as a young person and continue to drive meaningful change um, despite the external recognition? I'll tell you this in one way. <laughs> and it's going to sound very strange, but I'm an overthinker. So for me, those amount of likes and those amount of impact matters. And I'm grateful for it. But I'm like, what next? How am I improving this impact every day? So for me, I have always tried to stay humble and just to the ground very, very strongly because I've realized that my growth is only because I stayed humble. So I always look back on how much I've grown in an entire year and I assess myself and I make notes of where did I go wrong in that entire year and I actually do this. So instead of just being very proud or very like excited about what all you can achieve, you also need to realize that everything that you were able to do was because you were humble and because you realize that you're still absolutely, you know, that like your impact is like one to two percent of the entire globe. How do you increase that? And that's the constant reminder that I give myself to stay humble, to stay just grounded in terms of also going back to those people who support me. So I think, yeah, that's that's the idea I have because I love this quote that one of my mentors told me. And it's called, it basically says that one person may not change the whole world, but one person can change the whole world for another person. And that quote has just stayed with me a lot. Uh, it's the way I also stay humble because I've realized that if I'm able to change one person's life and if I multiply that into 10 every day, that's the aim I want in my life. That's the goal I want to achieve. And I'm far, far from it. So there's a long way to go. I hear you. I hear you in that. I know that with things that I've done as well, I'm also always thinking of the next best thing or um, the new approach um, for a different way to do something. And I think it's a thing that you either have or you don't. And even if you don't, that should not stop you from trying to have an impact on the small or the different things that you can do. And from that quote, I know I've heard it somewhere before, and it's something that helps keep you grounded in the work that you do because you have or you develop a multiplier effect. And because of this, I think um, it is something that I see in the work that you've done. And I appreciate um, the work that you continue to do. Um, these next set of questions are more personal and um, close set of questions. And it's essentially for the audience listening in that are looking up to you and the work that you have done to help them essentially resonate with you. And the first question at that would be, what legacy or impact do you hope to live behind when all is said and done? Oh, this is a this is a long question. <laughs> I could take like hours to answer this because I'm extremely ambitious. So one side of me wants to create change in terms of taboo topics. Another side of me just wants to empower young people to take action. Another side of me wants to tell people that whatever you lack, you can improve in that skill within one year if you give it 365 days of your concentrated focus. So I have like different angles of creating impact. I've been working on all of them. And my ultimate impact would be if technically everyone who's hoped to do something in their life is able to do it. 
So I know it's a very brief and a random goal, but that's what I have in mind because I don't want to numerically like quantify it because I don't know how many young people live in the world. But I do want to believe that as many people as I meet, I'm able to motivate them that, hey, if I can do it, we're we're the same people. We're all young people still figuring it out. All of us have ambitions. We just really need to push forward and take the step to achieving those ambitions. So my ultimate impact would be if everybody who set out a goal for themselves is able to achieve it. And on the side, I do really, really hope that Break the Ice becomes a global safe space for all young people across the globe. Because I said that as a mission as a very ambitious person, but I've realized that we will be able to achieve it if we keep going and if we stick to our motives. So yeah, hopefully that. That is a good perspective to have. And it shows and indicates that we're thinking long-term. That is the characteristic of um, successful people from what I've seen at least. And Black, as a young person, we have, um, and you have so much going on. You know, as young people, we are in school, we are part of communities, we have friends and family to be involved with. And there is generally a lot, we have businesses as well that we're starting and trying to ensure that they are successful. But as Black, how have you been able to manage stress and burnout during demanding periods of your life? What self-care practices do you um, do to maintain a healthy work-life balance? That's a great question. One of my favorites, honestly. So technically, I've realized that a lot of people don't really understand what self-care is all about. Um, at a very core level, self-care is very closely linked to time management. So when you're able to manage your time well and you make sure that you give maybe 30 minutes, that's like very less of the 24 hours that you get daily. If you give 30 minutes to yourself to do what you want to do, maybe that's doing nothing. For me, it's doing absolutely nothing and just sitting and scrolling on my phone, not useless scrolling, but just exploring things, you know, randomly, mindlessly. Maybe I'm coming across very inspiring content. Maybe I'm saving a lot of posts, you know, because I want to later on work on them. But ultimately, 30 minutes of no thought. 30 minutes to yourself. So a lot of times I'm scrolling on my phone for those 30 minutes because that's my me time. Sometimes I just want to journal because a lot of times I have a lot of thoughts in my mind and I like to journal and express myself on paper. That works very well for me. A lot of people have heard say that they love to walk. So half an hour of the day, just going out to walk and exploring nature and just being at peace might work for you. So ultimately, self-care is closely linked to time management and ensuring you have that one slot of me time in it. If you feel like that's not possible, at least give that time to yourself on a weekly basis. Otherwise, you're sure to burn out. There is no amount of time you can give to yourself to get back to shave if you do burn out. That's my way of understanding because I've realized that I've, I've been in close contact to people who just said, I can't do any more work and I just need a break. When your body gives up, you're bound to give up as well. And then you need like 10 days to get back to shape. Why not give yourself half an hour every day and prevent that? Right? So at a first level, you really need to understand why do I need self-care? Because I've seen people on Instagram and people on like different social media platforms have failed to realize that self-care is not a buzzword, but it's like a reality that you need to have in your lives. Constantly talking about it has made, made it a buzzword and people now are like, oh, it's just next buzzword and we really know, don't need to focus on self-care. That's wrong. <laughs> once you know why you need self-care, you'll be like, oh, I definitely need my me time every day. And once that's in your routine, there's no going back. 
So technically, just understand why you need it. What works the best for you? Journaling, reading, Instagram, anything. Make sure you give yourself that half an hour, that one hour every day and get it in your routine so that for your lifetime, you're set and you do not have to worry about burning out. Thank you for that answer. I like that you focus on finding time. You know, in times like these, we believe the best way to be effective is working all the time. And that usually leads to burnout. Um, like you said, I think we should all learn to find time in the day to do absolutely nothing and just reflect on the different things happening for you and around you. And honestly, set your mind free because it's through that that you reset and even find fresh perspectives on how to approach the work that you're doing. Um, as we wind up, I like asking this question. Um, in the beginning of the interview, um, you mentioned that there was a time when you were young speaking to your mom about a taboo topic um, at a family event. And at that point, you realized that in the future that this would be something that you would want to run and are passionate about. Do you think that um, seven-year-old you would be proud of how far you've come from that discussion and that uh, encounter with the taboo topic? Every minute. <laughs> That's also how I keep myself motivated and grounded at the same time that I'll be proud of like 13 year old, seven year old Palak would be so proud of where 20 year old Palak is. So absolutely. Thank you so much for answering that Palak. And as you've heard, ladies and gentlemen, it is essential to learn to work with people one, but also there are different things that go on in our lives and it's key to finding time for yourself. At a very young age, you've seen Palak has started her initiative and is actively following her passion. If there is something I want you to take away from this discussion is to find a way to discover your passion and actively work towards achieving that through consistency, motivation, discipline, and asking people about different um, things, engaging, reading. Um, thank you, Palak, for joining yes, this um, podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That's it for me, Darren Bainey, the host of the Young Guy International Podcast. Don't forget to share this and I'm looking forward to the next one. Have a good one.